you have your Bibles with you, you can be turning to Genesis 3. That's where we'll be this morning. As you're turning there, though, I, I guess I, as I say this or I hear myself about to say this, it's something that we say a lot right now. That this year, wow, right? What a year. Somebody, I heard somebody say the other day, they're going to stay up to midnight on New Year's Eve, not so much to welcome in the new year, but make sure this one ends, <laughs> right? It's weird. It's a weird year. But the Lord is doing something in it all, right? He's doing something in this. What is it? What's the, what is the thing he's doing? Well, we're all wondering. Uh, I've heard it said the, uh, this year has exposed what, what I've heard put the thin veneer of civilization, if that makes any sense. Underneath that thin veneer is the fallen human heart, Right? And we see lots of brokenness and division and hurt and pain and people talking at each other and not hearing each other. Neighbors have become enemies over politics. Brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters in Christ have become distant relatives. Family members have become rivals. Why? Well, before I dive into that question much further. Uh, some of you know, know, many of you know, that I've got uh, somewhat of a research laboratory that is tattoos, <laughs> right? If you haven't heard me talk about this, you're like, what? I don't, huh? I've been meeting with people, listening to the stories that's underneath the ink. The tattoo just happens to be a means to hearing and getting to know, but we all have stories, Right? There's all stuff underneath the surface, even if there's not any ink on the surface. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 all, it's there in all of us. I never imagined, though, how many people were willing to trust me with some of the deep sorrows, joys, pains with me, a pastor. You know, the first time I sat down with somebody who was covered in ink, I was like, you know, what could go wrong here, right? <laughs> but then they told me lots of things. There's nothing special about me. I, I just sat and listened. And they talked because they wanted to be heard. I find that much of the hostility, the division, the things we see that have been brought back to the surface this year, perhaps is a result of bad communication, not being able to listen. We all struggle to listen, right? We all struggle to listen because we're also all wanting to be heard. And if we, don't, if we think no one's listening to us, then it becomes hard to listen to someone else. We struggle to listen. But I want to take us back, okay? Not, not back to... Uh, say, the 90s before the cell phone took over our ability to communicate well, right? Not even back to the 1950s where everybody sat on their porches and talked to each other. I want to take us back to the beginning of the story, Scripture. Genesis 3. We see there a God who listens. This is God's Word. Genesis 3, I'll read verses 1 to 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him now and ask us to teach us from his word. Father, this is your word. We ask that you would have your way in us, shape us, mold us and shape us more into the likeness of your son Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Uh, traumatic things that happen in our lives, uh, they have an effect on us, right? They shape our lives. They shape the course of our lives. They, things happen to us in all sorts of ways. And I was just talking the other day to a friend who's been dealing with some back problems, pain. He said a uh, a disc has moved out of place. And they said there was one moment in time where it shifted a certain way and just locked up. If you've ever had back pain and something like that's happened to you, I'm, thankfully I've never had to experience that. But if you have, you know what that's like. You lock up. And he said, doctors are sort of like, it's your body casts itself up when that pain happens to protect itself like it goes into survival mode and it casts up and you can't move. You're seized up because it's like, hey, something's going on. Something's wrong here. We've got to protect further injury. So your body just seizes up and you're locked up from something being out of place in your back. Survival mode. It's sort of like PTSD. When someone experiences that, something triggers it and you go into survival mode, right? It's like a perhaps a soldier who's seen hard things, perhaps done hard things, and something later in life triggers that, and you go into survival mode, and something happens, and you get locked up. We all had certain types of traumatic things, sometimes big trauma, sometimes small trauma, but they all have their effect. Something traumatic happened to humanity in Genesis 3, right? It was perfect, (laughs) It was glorious. Man was with God and it was perfect and man was with, with man. Man and woman were together. We were in perfect paradise. And then something broke. Something fell apart. Something broke in us. We believed a lie, right? We botched it. Mankind botched what we had. 
and we believed a lie, something broke in us, and we lost trust in God as having our good in mind. And we shift after that to survival mode. We hide. We, we are driven by fear. We no longer remember how to be present with God and with others. And that, that listening muscle seizes up. We can't move it. We feel like we can't use it anymore because it's all about, well, what about me? I, I've got to look after me. God doesn't, he, apparently God doesn't have my best in mind. I've got to look after me. So you, we lose the ability to listen to God and to each other. We don't listen because we feel like no one is listening to us. And by the way, we'll be tempted to hear this message and hope, you know, I hope, I hope so-and-so's hearing this right now because I feel like they're not listening to me, right? <laughs> We're going to think, you know, some, you listening over there? You know? But we want to turn this to ourselves and say, how, how am I listening or not listening, Right? Because we all struggle with it. All of us struggle with it. (laughs) But when we meet a God who pursues us with a question and a listening ear, we find that our listening muscle begins to loosen up again. When we see a God who asks a question, where are you? And I, I am... Leaning on one of my mentors, Al, who I've talked about in this year of residency and doing crazy things like asking about tattoos, I'm leaning, he's taught me about what this, how to think about this question. He calls it the mother of all questions that gives birth to all other questions that God may ask of man, that we ask of ourselves. This mother of all questions, where are you? Isn't it interesting uh, that God's first step into the world after man rebelled against him, turned from him and all that, isn't it interesting that the first thing he does is not, ha, what did you do? I saw, I caught you, I knew knew you'd do that. Why did you do that? He, He doesn't do that, does he? Isn't that interesting? He certainly could have. His first step is a question. Where are you? It's not like Satan's question, by the way, at the beginning of the chapter. Satan's like, did God really say that you can't eat of that fruit? Did he really say that? Satan asks a question, but it's a leading to his own end, right? It's a different kind of question. It's a self-focused question. I would say this is God's first act of Gospel grace, gospel proclamation, even in, into a, a fallen, broken world. As soon as it happens, God enters in with a question. And he goes on from there and says some things, right? He makes some pretty amazing promises. But God doesn't stop with just this question and just this moment of listening. I think, as my mentor says, I think it's the mother of all questions that gives birth to so many others. Let's just take a moment to think about some of the questions that God asks of us through Scripture. You can go to the next chapter. It doesn't take long, right, for the fallen human heart to do something pretty terrible. The first murder in the next chapter. Cain kills Abel, right? God, again, knows what happens, but he comes and says, Cain, where's your brother? There's that question again, where? 
Where's your brother? Go a little bit further into Genesis to chapter 16, right? Hagar, Abraham and Sarah's servant. You know, Abraham and Sarah tried to take matters into their own hands to produce this promised child. They're like, well, God's not doing anything. Let's make it happen. And so Abraham has a child through Hagar. And Sarah has a little regret with that, right? She's like, "Mm, I don't like this anymore. Send her away. And so Hagar runs in fear. And she runs into the wilderness and God meets her there and says, from where are you coming and where are you going? Where? Where are you? Well, a few chapters later, after Ishmael is born and Isaac is born and Hagar and Ishmael are sent away for good and left for dead in the desert, right? They run out of water and food and everything and Hagar has to leave her son far enough away where she doesn't have to watch him die. And God comes and meets her and says, I've heard the boy where he is. This is the outcast, by the way. Hagar, the outcast of the family. I've heard the boy where he is. New Testament, John 5, Jesus comes to the invalid man at the pool, right? The bunch of people who are uh, disabled, invalid in some way that are waiting for this water to be stirred up so they can be the first one to jump in and supposedly be healed. Jesus' question to that man, do you remember what it was? Do you, do you want to be healed? It's a form of where are you? What's going on in there? Jesus asked other questions like, what are you afraid of? Do you want to leave me too? Do you love me? Isn't it interesting the questions that God asks of us? And they all, I think, are birthed out of this question, where are you? That God asks in the garden. This is an amazing view of who God is. So often we see God allow hard things in our lives. And we may want to ask Him, like, where are you, God? Where are you when this happened? Where were you when you let this happen? But God, we, we, we sometimes take what's going on in here, right? And we project that onto God, right? But God is not like us. He's different. Have you ever experienced a God who listens to you? Have you ever heard this question? Have you heard it in here? Have you heard him ask it of you? Have you you read this and really heard what God is trying to say or do there? We're so full of noise. I know I'm so full of noise and distractions and copings that sometimes it's hard to actually hear God say, where are you? can't hear him over our own noise that's going on inside. So God's asking this question of Adam and Eve, where are you? Is this a question that, if you go to the next point there, are people asking this question? Do people care about this question? Do human beings care about where they are? Do we? As I mentioned earlier, my research laboratory of tattoo interviews this, it's not a, a research of, of being for or against them. I'm not really interested in that debate in this. I'm more interested in what's underneath, right? So, one of my first uh, interviews, I was sitting there at Ferris waiting for this guy to come in. And I see him come in, and he's covered, right? 
pastor at Ferris waiting to talk to a tatted up guy. What could go wrong? <laughs> he sits down. We talk, and he says, "My most me- he has many, many, many tattoos. <laughs> He said, my most meaningful one is here, on my side. It's for my sister. She died at 21 of a brain tumor five years ago. Oh, and by the way, my parents split up later that year. Oh, by the way, it was the year I graduated from high school, and while everybody else, all my friends were going into adult life, doing this, that, and there, I was sitting here trying to figure out what just happened to me. I said, have you ever processed that? It was five years ago. Have you ever processed all that? He said, I don't think so. He's saying, where am I? Right? Where am I? Another young lady that Michelle met with has a lotus flower here that's growing out of self-harm scars that represent dark days and a desire to be beautiful, but also remembering the dark days that the others represent. She's saying, where am I? Another one. I was, spent some time in prison. Lost a child in miscarriage. Tried to take my life. Where am I? I got this flower for my dad when he died. And sadly, I never really let him know me because I didn't like him. And now I feel guilt because he's gone. Where am I? It's asked in Scripture. Human beings ask it in Scripture, don't they? The Psalms, the psalmist is saying, where am I? Where, how long, O Lord? How much longer do I have to endure this? Where are you, God? Really, they're saying, where am I in all of this? I think even Jesus, in his humanity, asked the question, where am I? When he prayed in the garden... By the way, sweating drops of blood, he was in so much agony over what he was about to do. He said, God, if there's any way, if there's any way this can pass, if I don't have to endure this, will you let it pass, oh, Father? But your will be done. In that, I think Jesus was saying, where am I right now? Where do I stand with you, Father? My Al, my mentor, he says he believes the image of God lives in this question, where are you? We live our lives wondering, where am I? We ask it all the time. Just got a bad diagnosis, where am I? Just lost a close family member, where am I? I just moved to a new place and it doesn't feel like home, where am I? I'm still struggling with the same sin, where am I? We're all wondering where we are. I think it's all, it's all in there. It's, it's in there for all of us. All right, let's back up to Genesis 3, okay? So God's walking through the garden after this has happened, right? And Adam and Eve are hiding. Who's the question for? Did, did God, why did he have to ask that question? Did God not know where Adam and Eve were, right? He, if he's God, then he knows, Right? He knows where they are. He knows what they did. He knows everything about what just happened. So who's the question for? It's for Adam. It's for Adam to say out loud what was going on. 
where are you? So he, did, he didn't go, oh, Adam, uh, wh- where are you? Oh, there you are. You know, I'd, I just saw this snake go through the garden, and I had to get rid of it because I thought it was going to bite the animals or eat the fruit, and, you know, but I'm, I'm glad it didn't mess with you or anything. Right? He, God knew exactly what had happened. And he didn't show up and pop up and say, you did it. I can't believe you did that. Why did you do that? He doesn't shame Adam. He actually protects his dignity by asking him a question. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? More than what he... He certainly wanted to know what Adam did, right? But he also wanted Adam himself. Where are you? You know how kids play hide-and-seek? Little ones, like Levi's age... Uh, he likes to get in our kitchen cabinets. He's still small enough to climb, like open and climb into it, right? And then hide, right? Shut the door, but then say, come find me. And then knocking on the cabinet door, can't, you can't find me. Where, are, where am I? Right? Obviously, he wants to be found. It's sort of like how we're hiding. You can imagine Adam sort of hiding behind the tree, but like peeking out. Like, there he is. I wonder if he'll see us. Do I, do I want to be seen? Do I want to be found? I kind of want to know. I don't. What if it's, you know, there's times where Levi likes to color on our walls, okay? Sometimes Michelle and I will be downstairs, and he'll be upstairs, and then we look at each other and we're like, it's gotten really quiet up there, a little too quiet. (laughs) And so we go see what he's doing, and we come upstairs, and he's got like a marker, and he's done artwork all over the wall. We're like, Levi, and he hides the marker, he's like, nothing, nothing. That's a way of hiding, isn't it? (laughs) but it's a three-year-old's way of hiding. What is really being asked here? I don't think it's a geographical question. It's not where. Where in this garden are you, Adam? It's sort of like when you look at somebody and say, where are you at right now? Where are you at in your mind? Where are you at in your heart? Where's your heart? What's going on inside? It's a bit like trying to peer into someone's eyes and see into their very soul. Now, we can't do that. But we can ask and see if it can come out. Now, God does peer in, and he does see. Where are you? After he asks, God listens. He provides Adam the space to say out loud, I'm afraid. I feel exposed. I'm hiding. Aren't we all doing that in various ways? Don't we all do it? We're afraid. We hide. We cover things up. We all do it. Listening protects dignity. God protects Adam's dignity in this. And as we listen to each other, as we think about where we're at right now and division and people not hearing each other. Gospel communication begins with listening to someone else. It protects someone's dignity by listening to them. Ask yourself, how do I listen? Do I really listen to know? Or am I just listening long enough for an opportunity to talk about me? Guilty. You know, you wait for that moment to say, oh yeah, me too, you know, this, this is going on and this and then, and then it takes the, it turns the whole listening thing back this way. 
and you stop hearing the person. Or we listen long enough to perhaps to someone that we don't know well, but we listen long enough to figure out which camp they're in, whether that be political or whatever, until we realize, oh, oh, you're, you're one of them. Okay. Instead of waiting for some common ground that, that is there, <laughs> that is, it's there. Or we listen long enough to slip in some statement or have some great and wonderful plan for that person's life, right? We want to fix it, don't we? When we hear what hurts the most, we really, we want to fix it. But sometimes we just need to simply hear. Say, where are you? So who is your question for? Satan, remember, asked his question for his own ends. It was that leading question of building his own kingdom is what he was trying to do. He says, you know, this God of yours, that you think he really has your best interest in mind? I mean, why is he holding back on you? Go ahead. Why can't you just eat? He had his own ends in mind. What holds us back from listening to hear, to know, to hold on to? As James said earlier in the confession, the heart of a man is like deep waters. Sometimes it's the fear of drowning in those waters, right? What if I get into something I don't know how to get out of? What if somebody shares something really heavy with me and I don't know what to say? What if I listen to something that I am opposed to? What if if listening might mean I'm condoning something? That's there, right? We're afraid to listen without trying to fix or correct or rebuke. Or There's those fears. As I sit down in these interviews, so often, I think maybe if I could pick a theme uh, of listening to the stories, so often there's some form of saying, even if it's not said out loud, there's something that says in the ink, I feel forsaken. This happened, I feel forsaken. This happened, where am I? Again, we don't have to have ink to to feel that, right? There's times in our lives where we think, I feel forsaken. This happened. Ultimately, it's saying, "Here's here's where it hurts the most, right? If you can listen to someone long enough to get to that place where they say, this is what hurts the most. This is the deep wound of my soul. When that comes out and it's said out loud, I think Christ enters into those as we listen. The Spirit of God in us engages with that. Uh, Again, Al has helped me think about this so well. He talks about, so some of you who are in IT or work with electronic devices, right? There's a heat sink that's usually on those things. It's like a little louvered piece of metal, right, that, that draws off the heat off of a circuit board, right? You know, like a computer. You hear a fan in a computer, they get hot, and you have to cool it down. So a heat sink pulls heat off of those devices. Um, when we can sit and listen to someone say, here's where it hurts the most, we can be a heat sink <laughs> pulling off that heat so they don't burn out, overload so it doesn't overload the system. Uh, someone I sat down with not too long ago, he, he was talking about uh, what it was like to be listened to, and he's, 
He says, there's something about me being able to get the story out, say it out loud, put it out on the table, and have someone listen to and absorb it. Not try to fix it, but absorb it. Isn't that an interesting word? Absorb. Can you listen long enough, not injecting ourselves, but to hear the answer to the question? So, as I said earlier, just to kind of wrap this up, as as I said earlier, Jesus, I think, was in his humanity, in the garden, was asking this question, where am I? What's about to happen to me? Where am I? I think he gives an answer to the question that God asks, that mother of all questions, when he's on the cross, taking on all of our feelings of where am I? And answers that question as he's dying on the cross, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like he's channeling the whole human race, hanging on the cross, and he gives the answer. While we might feel forsaken, he was. He was forsaken for us, for you and for me. He was forsaken. That was the answer to his question The father says to the son, or asks the son, where are you? And the son says, I am forsaken. How deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. God's question to us is, where are you? Christ answered it for us and stood in our place and said, I am forsaken so that you do not have to be. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Father, thank you that you pursue us You began with a question, and then you listened so that we could say out loud what is going on on the inside. But you didn't leave us there. You pursued us all the way to the cross, bearing our sin, bearing our sorrow and our pain, and you absorbed it all so that we would be free from it, so that we could know you and not be forsaken by you. Oh Lord, may your word take deep root in us. May it shape us. May it give us the ability to listen to each other. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.